In the life of David, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, David is an old man and making preparations to hand the kingdom over to his son Solomon. He's already started organizing everything for the temple to hand that project over to his son. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 verse 1, this is David's instructions to Solomon. David summoned all the officials of Israel to Jerusalem, the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the army divisions, and the other generals and captains, the overseers of the royal property and livestock, the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the other brave warriors in the kingdom. David rose to his feet and said, My brothers and my people, it was my desire to build a temple where the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, God's footstool, could rest permanently. I made the necessary preparations for building it, but God has said to me, You must not build a temple to honor my name, for you are a warrior and have shed much blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, has chosen me from among all my father's family to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen the tribe of Judah to rule, and from among the families of Judah he chose my father's family. And from among my father's sons, the Lord was pleased to make me king over all Israel. And from among my sons, for the Lord has given me many, he chose Solomon to succeed me on the throne of Israel and to rule over the Lord's kingdom. He said to me, Your son Solomon will build my temple and its courtyards, for I have chosen him as my son, and I will be his father. And if he continues to obey my commands and regulations and he, as he does now, I will make his kingdom last forever. So now, with God as our witness, and in the sight of all Israel, the Lord's assembly, I give you this charge. Be careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God, so that you may continue to possess this good land and leave it to your children as permanent inheritance. And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple in his sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. I feel like I need to read that little paragraph again. It's only verses 9 and 10. He says, My son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Very powerful two verses right there. I feel like that is to all man for all time. Picking up in verse 11. Then David gave Solomon the plans for the temple and its surroundings, including the entry room, the storms, the upstairs rooms, the inner rooms, the inner room sanctuary, blah, 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 which was the place of atonement. David also gave Solomon all the plans he had in mind for the courtyards of the temple, the outside rooms, the treasuries, the rooms for the gifts dedicated to the Lord. The king also gave Solomon the instructions concerning the work of the various divisions of priests, Levites, the temple of the Lord, and he gave specifications of their, for the items in the temple and where to be used for worship. In other words, he's given him the blueprints. David gave instructions regarding how much gold and silver should be used. I'm going to skip around here a little bit. Told some amount of gold needed for 
all of the items to be used in the temple, all the gold needed for all of the other dishes and basins and pitchers. Basically, he gave him the blueprint for the entire temple plus everything that goes in it. And then he ends here. Okay. Uh, picking up in verse 20. Then David continued, Be strong and courageous. This, this was the cry of Joshua. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. The various divisions of priests and Levites will serve in the temple of God. Others with skills of every kind will volunteer and the officials in the entire nation are at your command. Uh, and then in the first few, first few verses of chapter 29, he just goes on to give more specifications about the building of the temple. And then in verse 10, he ends with a song of praise. Uh, then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. O oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and who are my people, that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you gave first to us. We are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow gone so soon without a trace. O Lord our God, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with good motives, and I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. O Lord, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never changes. Give my son Solomon the wholehearted desire to obey all your commands, laws, and decrees, and to do everything necessary to build this temple, for which I have made these preparations. Then David said to the whole assembly, Give praise to the Lord your God, and the entire assembly praise the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and they bowed low and knelt before the Lord and the king. I think there were a few verses that really stuck out to me here. First were those verses I repeated, uh, verse 9 and 10 of chapter 28, where he says, Learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Serve him with your heart and your mind, because the Lord sees the heart and he knows our thoughts. If you seek him, you find him. If you forsake him, he rejects you. And take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple. Be strong and do the work. And then again in verse uh, 20. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Twice he says there, do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord my God is with you. 
So do the work, but don't worry. God's with you doing it. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. Today, we are the temple, and we work in the kingdom of God that is already here, and he will see that it is finished correctly. The various divisions, yeah. So, I don't think that needs any more of my thoughts on that. Those verses pretty much speak for themselves. In the New Testament, we're reading in Matthew 22, uh, just skipping ahead to the subtitles in this section. First, Jesus tells a parable, and then he gets interrogated by the religious leaders, and they ask him about paying taxes, which, of course, it's tax season for us, sort of, with the virus. Uh, He also gets asked about the resurrection and about the greatest commandment. But then when Jesus asks them a question, they're stumped. So this is Matthew chapter 22, starting verse 1. Uh, Jesus is telling a parable about the wedding dinner. Jesus also told them other parables, he said. So he has just told them, let me back up a little bit here. Uh, He has just told them the parables Uh, the parable about the evil farmers. And now he's about to tell them another one. He said, verse 2, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, The feast has been prepared, the bulls and fattened cattle have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now picking up in verse 15. Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right? to pay taxes to Caesar or not. But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a coin, a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them and they went away. 
verse 23. That same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They posed this question. Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children, so his brother married the widow. But the second brother also died, and the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. So this is quite a snarky question. You know, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? They don't even believe in a resurrection. So they think they've really got him good. Verse 29, Jesus replied, Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. But now, as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living not the dead. When the crowds heard him, they were astounded at his teaching. Verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. So they think, well, they failed. We'll try again. We'll get him this time. Verse 35. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two, command, uh, these two commandments. Verse 41. Then, surrounded by the Pharisees, Jesus asked them, a asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They replied, He is the son of David. Jesus responded, Then why does David, speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, call the Messiah, My Lord? For David said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? No one can answer him. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Okay, so going through uh, my Bible and reading the other versions of this text from the other Gospels and my footnotes, I have some thoughts I want to share. First, on the parable of the wedding dinner, uh, if your reaction was anything like mine when I hear that a guy gets kicked out and killed because he wasn't wearing the right clothes to the wedding, I'm like, wait, what is this? But the a footnote here gives a bit of a cultural context of the time. 
Uh, it says it was customary for wedding guests to be given wedding clothes to wear to the banquet. So even though he's pulling them in off the street, they may be given outfits to wear as they're coming into the wedding so that they're uh, dressed appropriately. It was unthinkable to refuse to wear these clothes. That would insult the host who could only assume that the guest was arrogant and thought he didn't need these clothes or that he didn't want to take part in the wedding celebration. The wedding clothes picture the righteousness needed to enter God's kingdom, the total acceptance in God's eyes that Christ gives every believer. Christ has provided these clothes of righteousness for everyone, but each person must choose to put them on in order to enter the king's banquet. So again, this isn't a real story, it's a parable, but he wasn't sugarcoating it. He's like, listen, do behave like you really believe I am who I am. You know, I give you the righteousness and I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He tells that again in this little parable. And then on the section about paying taxes. So the Pharisees ask him the question about the taxes. Then the Sadducees step in and ask him about the resurrection. And then the Pharisees come back with a third question. I thought it was funny that the Pharisees start off with this passive aggressive statement. We know how honest you are. Yeah, they're plotting to kill him, but they're going to flatter him before they ask the question because they want to save face in front of the crowd. And when Jesus answers, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God, one of the footnotes in my Bible here points out that he, he's identifying that we've got dual citizenship. Our citizenship in the nation requires that we pay money for the services and benefits we receive. Our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven requires that we pledge to God our ultimate obedience and commitment. So yeah, we live in this world, pay taxes. But give God what is God's as well, which is your ultimate obedience and commitment. Now, Luke, so this story about uh, this, these questions, this interrogation here appear also in Mark 12 and in Luke 20. And Luke mentions that the Pharisees were looking for an opportunity to trap Jesus and they, uh, the leader sent spies pretending to be honest men. They tried to get Jesus to say something that could be reported to the Roman governor so he would arrest Jesus. So this whole interrogation scene is not just that they're curious. They're trying to trap him in such a way that he'll get himself arrested. Of course, they don't succeed. I don't know. A for effort, guys, but you failed. Now, moving on to the Sadducees asking him about the resurrection. So when Jesus is saying, God said, I am the God of Abraham, he didn't say I was. I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, he says I am. I am because they're still alive. That's why that statement proved the resurrection for them. Um... And about this whole marriage thing, they really thought that the resurrection meant everybody would just have another life. There would be an afterlife that would mirror our earthly life. So whoever we were married to on earth would be also be our spouse in the afterlife. They had 
no idea how off that is. And there's basically, I feel like Jesus is kind of saying, spend more time focusing on your relationship with God rather than thinking about what the afterlife is going to be. Because whatever you think it's going to be, it's going to be different. In Luke's version of this story, he adds a little bit to it. Uh, In Luke 20 verse 34, Jesus replies, marriage is for people here on earth, but in the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given a marriage, and they will never die again. In this respect, they will be like the angels. They are children of God and children of the resurrection. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised, even Moses proved this when he wrote about the burning bush. So where Jesus is quoting him, it's from the burning bush scene. Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, he referred to the Lord as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead, for they are all alive to him. And someone says, well said, teacher, remarked some of the teachers of religious law who were standing there, and then no one dared to ask him any more questions. (laughs) Snarky little comeback from some guy in the crowd. Okay, and then uh, on the question from the Pharisees again about the greatest commandment, Uh, Let's see. I have a footnote here I wanted to read. Jesus said that if we truly love God and our neighbor, we will naturally keep the commandments. This is looking at God's law positively rather than worrying about all we should not do. We should concentrate on all we can do to show our love for God and others. And so instead of seeing following Christ as this big list of what I should do and what I shouldn't do. Instead, narrow it down to what shows love for God or others. Really simplifies it. And then lastly, in his question about who the Messiah is, so the Pharisees knew that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. However, just like a father wouldn't say my Lord to his son, it wouldn't happen in that time period either. So when David calls the Messiah my Lord, then they're stumped. You, you would think they could have come to that conclusion by, them, by themselves. They know the scriptures, but they kind of needed Jesus to point it out for them. In my footnote here, it says, the most important question we will ever answer is what we believe about Christ. Other theological questions are irrelevant until we believe that Jesus is who he said he is. Oh, and I forgot something I wanted to mention. Uh, Jesus answered about the greatest commandment. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. I did not plan... I did not plan that just a little bit ago. We read in 1 Chronicles 28, David said, Worship and serve God with all your heart and with all your mind. I literally did not plan that. So David says it, and then Jesus says it. Jesus added, with all your soul. So all your heart, 
all your soul, all your mind. And then one of the other versions adds with all your strength. Oh, and also in this, this uh, section on the greatest commandment, Mark's version of this of this little story here, after Jesus had replied that the greatest commandments were to love, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to also love your neighbor as yourself. There's this religious leader in the crowd who actually gets it. So all of the Pharisees and Sadducees have been trying to trap him, but then there's this one who speaks out and seems like it actually sunk in for him. Uh, Mark 12, verse 32, the teacher of religious law replied, well said teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. The end. That's it for today. So in Anchor, it lets me add a song to the end of the episodes. If you're listening in Spotify, you won't be able to hear that song. Uh, but in, in Anchor, you can. So switch over to Anchor if you want. In this episode, I'm, ta- I'm attaching a song called The Greatest Commands, sung by uh, the university I graduated from, which is the Harding University Uh, their concert choir. So it's one of the most beautiful songs ever. Everybody loves it. It's fully acapella and it's literally about the scripture we just ended with. So if, if you're able to listen to it, I hope you enjoy it.